Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Can Chechnya be a model for what we're seeing now? And if it is, it's a horrible model. It's basically surround the city, shell it, kill everyone, and then pave it over and rebuild it. It might take a decade, it might take 20 years. If your houses are getting destroyed, if your family members are getting killed, you fight differently. The sphere of battle gets wider. That's a pretty dark assessment from Steve Harrikin of Fox News, who's back from Ukraine, and that's his report. Are the Russians going to follow the Chechnyan model? Kill everyone, destroy everything, pave it over. Dr. Jeff McCausland is a CBS News military consultant, founder and CEO of Diamond Six Leadership and Strategy, LLC, and also a senior fellow at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the Naval Academy. Uh, Jeff, it's always a pleasure. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, and thanks for having me on. So, is that what's going to happen? The Russians are just eventually going to take over this country, kill enough people, abduct enough mayors that they uh, they pull off what they want to pull off? How do you see it? Well, that certainly is their objective, I think, though they may now have a secondary objective because they thought they could accomplish that in a couple of days, and now we're into the third week, and they're not any closer to doing that. And that might be that they can't take the whole country, and if they do so, I think they better expect now to understand they're going to need far more troops to control it than they did to take it because they'll be in the middle of an insurgency of, you know, some 40-plus million people. But they might suggest if they can take Kiev, center of gravity, as we described in military terms, perhaps secure the coastlines of the Sea of Azov down in Mariupol and the Black Sea around Odessa, and then might declare a ceasefire and say, okay, let's negotiate. Obviously, then they would be negotiating from a position of great strength. From the perspective of the Ukrainian people, though, it's difficult to imagine a negotiated settlement, even if the uh, the folks in the leadership agreed to it. it. It's almost impossible for me to picture it being accepted in a uh, significant way. No, I think you're exactly right. I think you know, the more this war goes on, the more civilians are killed, the more destruction is done, it's more and more difficult for Zelensky and the Ukrainian government to compromise with the Russians. Now, negotiations are ongoing, and <clears throat> certainly the loss of life is severe. Some estimates 2,000 people have been killed in Mariupol alone, which might pressure Zelensky over time to seek some kind of a, some kind of a settlement. But that being said, it's certainly going to become increasingly difficult, and sadly, there seems to be no indication on the Russian side that Mr. Putin is interested in compromising on his initial demands. Where are you on the whole no-fly zone yesterday? There seemed to be pretty significant movement in terms of public opinion and political opinion as I was watching the Sunday talk shows. I mean, there were more people talking about, eh, maybe we ought to do this. Um, Are you still a hard no? I'm still pretty much a hard no because we're talking about understanding that if you put in a no-fly zone, you have to understand you have to enforce it. That means you have to confront any aircraft that comes in there with a very high likelihood of shooting it down. That puts you in direct confrontation between the United States and Russia or NATO and Russia. And that let, raises the specter of escalation to even the threat of the use of nuclear weapons. Secondly, even if you were to accept that, uh, don't forget the Russians are only flying about 200 sorties a day. The other day they did a bombing in the eastern portion of, or I should say an airstrike in the western portion of Ukraine, that was actually launched by a Russian bomber that was flying over Russian airspace that launched the missiles that struck those targets. So even though they're flying 200 sorties, a significant portion of those are over Russian or Belarusian territory launching missiles 
or conducting surveillance operations uh, because they're fearful of the air defense uh, of the Ukrainians that they've been able to mount. And most of the fire that they've been doing, the best I can tell, is artillery, rockets, and missiles against uh, Ukrainian cities. And the, and the no-fly zone does absolutely nothing to interrupt the rocket, missile, and artillery fire. Let's talk a little bit about the Russian attack on the base in the west of Ukraine. That is obviously where uh, so many of the arms are coming in, not to mention humanitarian relief. What would it take for the Russians to secure the west of Ukraine there near the Polish border? And how dangerous might those efforts be in terms of provoking NATO into a, a larger conflict? Well, certainly, first of all, I think the attack on that base had two intents. One was uh, a lot of the uh, Ukrainian Air Force is now based out of bases in the West. So they may have been trying to take out some of the Ukrainian air defense, Ukrainian aircraft and bases that they're using, as well as, as you suggest, introduct that supply line. If you can physically interrupt that supply line, you're going to have to put troops on the ground. Now, there is some movement in the north of there in Belarus and a concern that the Russians might try to do a quick you know, operation coming due south out of Belarus to secure that or seal that border between Poland and Ukraine off to interrupt that supply line. To do so runs the possibility, at least, then, and once again, if you get right close to the border, uh, you could have a, an accidental or a, or an absolute uh, confrontation with NATO forces, Polish forces, or other forces, and then you get in the whole problem of escalation, Article 5, and NATO becoming a belligerent in the conflict. And then physically, can you actually do that against Ukrainian resistance? But there's no doubt about it that the Russians now are trying to see if they can slow the rate of resupply to the cities, particularly in the east. And one of the problems, and I was talking to people in Europe last night about this, one of the problems, of course, is big country, the size of Texas, didn't have the world's greatest infrastructure to start with. So moving all those supplies from Poland now by ground all the way over to Kharkiv over in the east or Kiev uh, in the northeast is a difficult problem, and that problem is just getting harder by the day. From Putin's perspective, do you think he benefits from killing or capturing President Zelensky? I feel like he does himself more harm than good. I think you could be right. I mean, if he had done this surgically, I think as he hoped, and take this out in a couple of days and, and you know, and capture Zelensky, uh, that might have been that might have worked to his political benefit. Now, as this war goes on, Zelensky has become a much more of a rallying figure to the Ukrainian population. His capture or death. I think would just make that even stronger, number one. Number two, he's becoming an international figure. He addressed by video the British Parliament last week. He's going to address the United States Congress by video this week. And all those appearances just raise his stature, I think, in the international community, number one, increase the demand internationally uh, to uh, end this war and the condemnation of Russia. Don't forget, 141 countries. The United Nations General Assembly condemned this Russian invasion. The only people that supported Russia were Russia, Belarus, Eritrea, Syria, and North Korea. There's a really good group of allies for you. Wow. Dr. Jeff McCausland, CBS News military consultant. Jeff, it is always enlightening. Thanks a million for the time. Thanks, guys. I'm looking up at uh, the TV and the role that uh, Zelensky's wife has been playing in all this. She's quite the uh, well-known figure in Ukraine right now. Uh, similar sorts of speeches and that sort of stuff. And, you know, if she uh, she dies in one of these attacks, because where the heck are they hiding? They're somewhere. And, uh, you know, uh, Putin's bombing indiscriminately, so he could accidentally kill Zelensky or his family very easily as he's bombing these various places.
Right, right. And the symbolic power of that to the Ukrainian people, who knows? I mean, I don't know. This is all such grim calculus. Uh, and, and you wonder how the calculus is going to change over time, too. Are the pressures going to build in Russia in terms of domestic opposition? Will Putin be able to crush it? Uh, will the will of the Ukrainian people just keep getting stronger and more defiant, or will they get worn down eventually? Well, I do. Uh, who knows? I do wonder about the West's ability to pay attention to this. Um, as has been pointed out, we don't we lose interest in our own wars. Are we going to be able to stick with this one, paying attention to it, which puts pressure on all these companies to do what they've done, pulling out and everything like that? But in terms of the pressure in Russia, I don't see how that doesn't grow. As long as the sanctions are in place, as long as they can't use credit cards and their money's worth nothing, and they and you can't buy anything, is it nothing? And the the restaurants are closed. All the anyway, you know, your McDonald's and Starbucks and all that sort of stuff is gone. God dang it! I don't I don't see that uh, going away anytime soon. And it's worth repeating that it was Russian mothers who exerted a lot of pressure to end their occupation of Afghanistan. They didn't want their boys being fed into that perpetual meat grinder for no good reason. Well, Ukraine could be a horrific uh, graveyard for Russian kids. And uh, the moms are only going to put up with that for a certain amount of time. And then Putin is faced with the idea of, what, beating down middle-aged mothers of young men? Uh, in 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 Red Square, I don't know. That's not a good look, even for Putin. Yeah, well, it, like, you know, we say it over and over. Anybody who claims they have the slightest idea where this is going uh, is lying to you. Um, but there's another hard no from military analysts on the whole no-fly zone. Hey, for something completely different, I have a little featurette. Do you remember when we talked about when you're dealing with the woke crowd, the social justice, critical race theory crowd, they use the Mott and Bailey argument, or you could call it the castle and courtyard argument, where they make a perfectly reasonable assertion. There is racism in America. Therefore, we need to teach the kids to hate each other. And you say, whoa, 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 this critical race theory stuff is sick. And there's and they go back to, oh, so you're saying there's no racism in America? Well, similar dodge they use and how to counter it ran across a great little string on Twitter I'll share with you later in the hour. Cool, that's on the way. Text line 415-295-KFTC. You know what woke means? It means you're a loser. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Everyone's pumped that Brady's back. Uh, well, except for maybe this guy. Hours before Brady announced his return, an auction took place for the football he used to throw his final touchdown pass. The winning bid was more than $500,000. <laughs> the auctioneer was like, sold to the guy with really bad timing. Yeah, there you go, you got it. Yeah, it went from Tom Brady's last touchdown ball to a ball. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been, that's an amazing story if the guy bought it six months ago. But the fact that he bought it a couple of hours before Brady makes his giant announcement is incredible. You know, (laughs) yeah, gosh, I have some sympathy for him. Obviously, he's got just a crap load of money. Spending half a million dollars I, on, I on sports memorabilia. I yeah. hope. I hope he does. 
But folks, here's a tip. Whether it's an obsessive athlete or Ozzy Osbourne announcing their retirement, don't believe it. Right. <laughs> hey, came across this. I thought it was so good. Um, and it's, it's, it's not like super sophisticated, but it helps to have it spelled out. Has to do with a common tactic the woke postmodern neo-Marxists use. The way they redescribe what they're up to. And I'm quoting from an internet thread that I thought was really good. What they do is they hide pieces of their ideology in the worldview, which they know everyone else will reject. They play hide the ball with their controversial ideas. They know that a lot of what they believe is super unpopular. So they hide it. This guy writes, let me illustrate what I mean by redescribing what they're up to. Then I'll give an example. Suppose a man is selling stolen goods and you ask him, what are you up to? Suppose he responds by saying, I'm just trying to make a living by selling these items. Has that man given you, given you an honest explanation of what he's doing? Well, no. He's redescribed the act of stolen, selling stolen goods by telling you the part that is acceptable, making a living by selling things, and leaving out the part that you would reject, the fact that they're stolen. The thing that he is doing, which is wrong, objectionable, dishonest, and controversial, has been cut out of the explanation. One more example. I can remove dirt from a car by washing it. I can also remove dirt by sandblasting the car. The difference is one of those is going to take off both the dirt and the paint job. If I offer to clean your car and say, I'll remove that mud for you, but I don't tell you I'm going to sandblast it off, you're going to be upset when I return your car and the paint is stripped off. In that case, I have redescribed what I am going to do. Sandblast your car. In terms of my goals, remove the dirt. But the way I redescribed it, I'll take that dirt off, leaves out the method that I am going to use. I redescribed what I'm doing in a way which leaves out something key. This is what the woke very often do. For example, they'll say something like, we are trying to study racism so we can end it. And they leave out the fact that they are using the neo-Marxist assumptions of critical theory because they know people will reject it. Another example, they'll say, we want to study gender and get a hold of all the ideas society has baked into our ideas about gender, which are not justified. They then leave out the fact that they're going to use uh, to do this, to use postmodern assumptions and methods. The woke will say, quote, we're analyzing what people say about race and gender, but leave out the fact that they reinterpret what people say using, quote, impact, not intent, which says it doesn't matter what you mean. What matters is how other people are impacted when they hear you. Wow. And that's my favorite one, because if you're a psycho, you'll interpret my saying nice day, isn't it, as an order to murder your neighbor, right? Uh, that doesn't mean I should be held responsible for that. That whole philosophy is just crazy. In this way, the woke describe what they're up to in terms of lofty goals and ideals while hiding the fact that they're using neo-Marxist critical theory and relativistic postmodern methods and assumptions. This is how they hide the controversial aspects of their ideology. Uh, the result is that they bury the deeply flawed assumptions, concepts, ideas, worldviews, and methods by redescribing what they're up to in terms of their lofty goals. This way, they avoid having to describe the process that they are actually using to pursue those goals. And this is where the rubber meets the road for you parents and schools and that sort of thing. It's all about the process. So when regular people ask the woke what they're doing, the woke tell them a story about wanting equality or ending racism, or analyzing gender, and then they leave out any description of the intellectual machinery they're using to pursue those goals. So regular people don't fully understand what's going on. The woke have avoided telling people the whole truth. 
Um, and then he kind of repeats himself oh, again. This is a difficult problem, but it can be solved. We teach our way out of this mess. What we do is explain the entire project that the woke postmodern neo-Marxists are up to, have to carefully and clearly lay out for people all the flawed assumptions, ideas, and concepts that make up the woke ideology and worldview. And once people grasp what they're up to, they'll, they'll know to reject it. I would say on a very practical level, though, if somebody says something sunshiny and indisputable like, well, we just want to talk about race you say how Mm. what are your methods what are you going to do to talk about racism are you part of the critical theory group Uh, do you believe that people should be defined by the race do you believe in a colorblind society or do you believe that in the racism anti-racism thing ask them about their methods do you believe we're a fundamentally systemically racist country based Mm -hmm. on and founded on racism. I was in a bookstore yesterday where they had the 1619 Project prominently displayed as a banned book and a sign describing how schools and states across the country have banned the teaching of our history of race. And we highly recommend this book. Of course, with no mention of the fact that many, many, many scholars left, right, and center have debunked so much of that book. Right, right. It's historical garbage. So, uh, yeah, just ask how. What methods do you use? Do you believe everyone should play by the same rules? Or do you believe that racism is justified to right past wrongs? That might be the biggin. I think we have an unprecedented poll out about our sitting U.S. president. I don't know if this has ever happened before. The results. Uh, Saudi Arabia with a major announcement that just broke in the Wall Street Journal. Holy crap. And we didn't get to our Dolly Parton news yesterday. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Fox News announced this afternoon that their correspondent, Benjamin Hall, was injured while news gathering outside of Kiev earlier today. Benji and I were colleagues and friends at Fox News. He reported for my newscast there. I've known Benji as a consummate professional, a respected journalist of the highest standards, and a wonderful man. My thoughts and those of our team are with him and his family and loved ones. Well, the cameraman that was with Benjamin Hall has just been uh, reported as dying in that same attack, you had a Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer die over the weekend. That's a couple in a couple of days, either injured or dead. At what point do we lose our eyes and ears on this whole story as the reporters start to get out? How long does Richard Engel walk around Kiev saying, as you can hear behind me, bombs are falling, before it's just not safe to do that anymore? Well, it's it's your standard war zone, incredibly dangerous, plus Putin wants to silence the voices reporting on what's happening. So I'm sure there are at least some Russian troops who have the orders that if you see a journalist, kill him. So I, I, in answer to your question, who knows? We may end up having to depend on, and thank God they exist, uh, the videos of uh, you know people's smartphones uploaded to the Internet, regular Ukrainians. Yeah, I'm thinking of the big names, uh, Charlie Daggett on CBS, Clarissa Ward on CNN, Richard Engel on NBC. All three of them might not be there a week from now. I don't know. Well, innumerable uh, cable reporters, including the fantastic Trey Yinkst, who's reporting for Fox News these days, uh, as well as Benjamin Hall, who I pray is okay, but it's incredibly dangerous work. 
What order do I want to do this in? Uh, the breaking Dolly Parton news that I mentioned yesterday. You've probably heard it by now. I should have done it yesterday. Where she said she does, she's pulling her name from consideration from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, saying she doesn't believe she's earned the right to be there, which I found interesting, but I didn't know this till I heard a report later, that she turned down the Presidential Medal of Freedom also, saying that she didn't want that. She's done a couple of things like that, Lifetime Achievement Awards and that sort of thing. So she's just not a, hey, look at me, honor me, everybody clap and stand sort of person. Right. How interesting. There are very few who have done that. Yeah. Yeah, I can get it. Uh, I get it. I yeah, I can see why you'd feel weird about that and just think, eh, how about you? Give it to somebody else. I, I don't need to walk up there with everybody clapping and standing and whatever. That's that's great. My life has been fine. Um, I don't know why she'd be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame anyway. I don't know what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is. but It's a tourist trap with some kind of cool stage clothes, guitars, and drums. And a wig from Dolly Parton? Would that add to it? Oh. I would add in, immeasurably to it, Jack. Immeasurably. Has this ever happened in our nation's history? I don't think it has. A majority of Americans don't think the current sitting president is even going to run for president next term. I don't know if that's ever happened. Probably not. The number of people not wanting the person to run may have been a majority at various times. But I don't know that it's ever been expected that they just he just won't. He just won't. He just too old or unliked or whatever. Well, or can't, he, that, he'll if, forget to file because he's old. <laughs> Not a joke. <laughs> well, as you know, my opinion has been since before the inauguration, there is zero chance he runs again. None. He's already senile. What's he going to be like in a couple of years? He shuffles now. And I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm mocking in any way. I'm going to be shuffling. I hope I live that long and I'll be shuffling. We all will. But he shuffles now in a way he absolutely did not when he was running. You seen him come out for any of these announcements? Man, he just shuffles. Oh, yeah. He's like the Tim Conway yeah. character, if you're old enough Re- to remember that. Reading in a monotone off of the teleprompter. Well, if presidents age like dogs, which is something we've said many times, we started with like a 17-year-old dog. We now have a 32-year-old dog. A slight majority of Americans don't expect Biden to run for re-election. It's 52%. The rest of you, what's the matter with you? What are you looking at? Yeah. Uh, Only 28% of Americans expect him to win a second term. That's a pretty low number. Among Democrats, only 41% think he will run. And we've seen higher numbers than that that don't want him to run. But only 41% of his own party thinks he's going to run. You know, one theory I could I could see is that uh, they think he's still sharp enough to finish out his term, run again and win, then resign and, and give it over to the Veep, whoever that is. But, you know, that's that's a stretch. Wow. How's this going to play out? Will he announce? Will he announce someday that he says, I've decided that uh, because of... My advanced age. <coughs> I think he'll probably cite the true, but it international better better pressure. As the true international pressure. Well, right. He'll he'll say uh, it's time for the country and the the party to have new leadership to lead us into the, 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 new, the, the new era. We got it. We got a deep bench. No malarkey. No malarkey. We got a deep bench. We got plenty of people out there like, what's his name and what's her face? They'd be great presidents. So And the kid. 
Right. But he can't announce it, right? Because then he's just got no power. He's the classic lame duck. He's got no power whatsoever. So does he just not announce it up until the very last moment? Yeah, theoretically, but if everybody knows it, what the hell's the difference whether he announces it or well, not no, in no, terms of actual, you know, uh, magnetic force there in the Capitol? I'm thinking this through in real time, and my brain moves slowly in real time. Um, uh, if he doesn't announce it until the very end, there's not time for candidates to announce and jockey and debate and all that sort of stuff. So, Sure, because he's the incumbent. He's the presumptive nominee, except only a fool would presume it at this point. And a majority of Americans don't presume it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this plays out. It's it's, it's new. It's unprecedented. I mean, um, uh, LBJ announced he wasn't running, but that's because polls showed he was he had a serious chance of not even getting the nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a different thing. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to look. Well, I think the question is, and this is really what to look for, when does the just completely undisguised jockeying for presidential consideration begin. Well, it's got to be like the day after the midterms, right? Uh, so the midterms are in November. People will start announcing right after the first of the year. So Republicans will start announcing. Chris Christie, Marco Rubio, um, uh, what's, his, what's her name, the Indian woman from South Carolina? What's her? Uh, <laughs> Nikki, Nikki Haley? Haley? Yes. The, they'll all announce in like January, February. Um, so will Democrats start announcing? Yeah, well, will anybody no. announce as a, I'm not running. I hope that Joe Biden is the president. We all like Joe Biden. Don't we applause, but I'm just here in case he, you know, keels over, which he might. So, <laughs> well, that's why I said, I didn't say announcing. I said undisguised jockeying. Because that's what will happen on the Democratic side. Republicans will announce Democrats will travel to New Hampshire for some reason to make grand speeches. And then perhaps a stop, I don't know, in one of the plain states, perhaps Iowa. You know, come on. Well, if you don't want people to see you jockeying, don't wear the satin shirt and carry the little whip. That's what (laughs) I say. It's an expression. All right? It's just an expression. You got the little weird hat on and the boots? (laughs) Come on. Mike Pompeo in a jockey outfit. <laughs> but no, he won't be jockeying. He will be announcing. Right. Yes. It's Now, your your governors, like DeSantis, will continue the, I've got a job, and that's governor of whatever state I live in. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then they will make it look, and this is good politics, they'll make it look like the country was so desperate for their services, they were begged to get into the race. They were so that'll take a little longer. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what this is going to look like. At some point, he's got to... Uh... Well, some point, you know, it's going to happen. This is a weird coup. It's an old person coup. They'll just stick a three by five note card in his hands when he's giving a speech someday about, you know, unions or something. <laughs> Somebody will just put it in his hand. And I'm announcing that I'm not running in 2024 due to age and health. And uh, I wish everyone, God bless America. He'll just read the card. He won't even know what he read. And then he'll shuffle off the stage. Now I'm supposed Bingo. to answer a question from NBC News. Clarissa? 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 Oh, jeez. Yeah, sad. Sad! And then it's on on both sides. Both sides wide open. How exciting is that? Mm. Mm, right. <laughs> These aren't the fun times of a few years ago where the stakes were not that high. The stakes are very, very high. You could have both sides wide open in a recession with a, you know, a near-world war burbling. Uh, yipes. 
Yipes is right. You know, I'm wearing today uh, a shirt that one of our beloved listeners uh, created. Remember back when it was clear Trump and Hillary were going to be the nominees? Obviously. And I just thought the whole thing was hilarious. And I said, I'm rooting for chaos and ugliness. And so uh, somebody, I can't remember their name, but I do thank you, um, uh, sent me a uh, chaos and ugliness 2016. What does it say? Inventing a new crazy every day. And every time I don this shirt, because I, I love this T-shirt, I think I kiddingly said chaos and ugliness, and we have gotten mountains of it yeah. practically ever since. And it's not funny anymore. No, it's not. No, it's not. Not even mildly. No, it's not. But it ain't, it ain't ending anytime soon. I haven't even told you about the great nickel crisis. Or, and I haven't told you the breaking news from the Wall Street Journal, the announcement from Saudi Arabia, which could be a pretty big deal. All that on the way. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I left a couple of really good things out of that poll I should touch on. You know, I'd like to hear that. I'll I'll tell you the long and short of the nickel crisis is that uh, the prices of that metal, which are critical to the production of uh, batteries, um, the, the nickel prices are skyrocketing and various, you know, masters of the universe are losing their ass and appealing to other masters of the universe to bail them out so that the price doesn't skyrocket to the moon and nobody can afford to do anything. And it's just people are pulling strings internationally. There are tens of billions of dollars at stake. And uh, I don't know, hoard your nickels because nickel is worth a lot. And that's why Tesla apparently announced their second increase in just a couple of days on their cars, like a thousand dollars for one of the models. I'll up. bet that's right, yeah. Uh, speaking of prices, oil is back under $100 a barrel. It peaked at over 130 just a couple of weeks ago, but it's back down under 100 for a variety of supply flow reasons, so maybe gas will uh, tick down, and that'd, that'd be pretty awesome. Super. It's over, folks. Good times. Back again. I know I've attempted this on the air before, and it hasn't worked, so I, maybe I won't bore people with it again, but I probably ought to... Arrange. Are you going to explain Bitcoin again? I should probably arrange another intervention for myself. I arrange my own interventions. Most people don't do that. Because <laughs> I, I just described to people out in the newsroom what I ate yesterday, and people seem to be quite shocked by it. Because um, I do the intermittent fasting. Somebody offered me some biscotti that they brought in. I said, I don't eat till 2 o'clock. Because I don't eat until 2, and then I stop eating at uh, 7, so I eat 5 hours a day. Wow. And they said, what do you eat once you start eating? And for instance, yesterday... At 2 o'clock, I had a giant donut. Then I stopped at McDonald's and I had a quarter pounder with cheese and a medium fry on the way home from the donut shop. Then I got up from a short nap and ate a half an apple pie. Sorry, cherry pie. We're in the presence of greatness. Go on. Are we? And then, as I had to run to something and I was kind of hungry and I was almost up against 7 o'clock, I grabbed a bag of potato chips out of the pantry and ate that in the car while I drove to wherever I was going. I don't even know how I'm still on my feet. How does your body survive on that diet? Gosh, I don't know. When I eat anything like that, I can feel it in my skin. Oh, I do. I feel bad. I feel terrible. That's probably why I feel terrible. Yeah, that's not the fuel. Why don't you put chocolate syrup in your car and see how far you drive? I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah, Folks, we're into the uh, self-chastisement, uh, the self-flagellation period. This is, this is the most fun from um, our perspective. I'd keep it up if I thought it would help, but I've been down this road too many times and it doesn't help. I got to do better today, I'll tell you what. I'm afraid I'll keel over. <laughs> I'm afraid my, my body will just say, that's it, we quit.
If you don't care any more than that, if you don't care, we don't care. And my heart just stops. So, uh, this poll I was looking at where a majority of Americans don't think Biden's even going to run. Here are a couple other interesting numbers. In matching up Trump and Biden, you get exactly 45 to 45%. An exact tie. Wouldn't that just be great for the nation? That wouldn't be stressful at all. If Trump and Biden run and it ends up like within, you know, a thousand votes of each other again. One precinct in Philadelphia was said to have irregularities. And I'd go, no, no. Uh, But this is the other number that really stuck out to me. Of course, neither one of them is running, so don't worry about that. 58% of Americans, so that's got to include a lot of Democrats, say the president is focusing on issues that are not important to them. Yep. That's the perception. You spend a lot of time talking about things that nobody's talking about, dude. Nobody. People are talking about inflation. Uh, Inflation, second, inflation, and behind that, inflation. And you're talking about all kinds of other stuff. Yep. Uh, that's a problem. So um, Saudi Arabia made a big announcement. The Wall Street Journal has the headline, and this could be troubling. Saudi Arabia is considering accepting the yuan instead of the U.S. dollar for Chinese oil sales. Talks between Rihad and Beijing have accelerated as the Saudi unhappiness grows with Washington. And this would be a big deal if they... Uh, if they go that direction, as as a lot of people are expecting, the whole U.S. dominating the planet with their own currency thing is going to start to degrade over time. It may degrade faster than we were thinking. Right, right. I feel like I had been binge watching the MSB show there for, for several weeks and really enjoying it, then kind of drifted away from it, started watching the Boba Fett and other things and Peaky Blinders. And, and now, oh, that's right, the uh, MSB show, the Saudi MBS. Arabia show. MBS, right, exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah, just uh, that guy is something else. He is. He is. I think he's probably evil. Um, they did a oh, good guaranteed, job. yeah. Uh, remember, it was MBZ, the guy that runs the UAE. I know this is a lot letter. Do you know me? Um, <laughs> he paid for, if you remember this story, he financed the PR rollout of MBS in Saudi Arabia. Got him on 60 Minutes, got him on the cover of magazines, got him favorable pieces and all kinds of uh, cable news shows to try to present him as this Western-leaning, forward-thinking reformer when he's anything but. Yeah, he lets women drive. He's doing all sorts of things to modernize Saudi Arabia. Oh, and executing anybody who threatens his power. Right. Uh, Whether journalists or people protesting in the street or whatever, they executed 80-some people over the weekend, and now he's thinking of buying uh, Chinese oil in their own currency rather than the U.S. dollar, so there you go. Yeah, well, I tell you what, the friendship with the Saudis has always been, you know, a frenemy thing. Just to, they're they're looking for their best offer, and China's aggressively courting uh, temporary paid buddies. That's what they do all over the world. Um, do I want to do that? No, that's too dark. I won't do that story. Do we have any more Dolly Parton news? Nope, that was all the Dolly Parton news. I'm afraid for the day. Oh, you know what we talked about briefly the other day, but but not much, is that, yeah, more and more is coming out that Russia has been funding environmental groups all over the world, including in Europe, heavily in Europe. The he, They have been financing the Greta Thunbergs of the world. Pretty clever. screeching, we can't drill for oil. How dare you drill for oil domestically? How it's dare un- you? 
It's unclean. You, and Russia's just chuckling. We'll drill. You see, these autocrats think, and some of you might think this, that democracies are dumb. The problem with democracies is you have a bunch of ignorant people making your decisions. And Putin believes that, and he believes that if he funds enough uh, college hippies to protest in the streets about green energy and climate change, it'll sway the government to uh, drill for less oil. And he was right. And it makes us more dependent on other countries, which, in at least up until last week, was him. Right, right. Dopey and easily manipulated is the way he views Western voters, and he has some evidence on his side. The classic came from Stalin or Lenin, useful idiot. Yeah, yeah, it's something else, which is not to discredit all environmentalism. Obviously, we want a clean planet. We want to be able to breathe the air and drink the water and and the rest of it, but... uh... I tell you what, you got to tip your cap to the cleverness. I think every American ought to be forced, forced, encouraged to take a class in uh, compromise, how it actually works. The Russian misinformation, disinformation, uh, how since the days of the Soviet Union, they've been trying to tear apart Western societies in every way they could and employing some of the best minds of their generations to sow the seeds of self-doubt, self-hatred, dependence on Russian oil, the rest of it. I mean, it's really clever. It's insidious, but they're good at it. I think every American should be forced to take a class on libertarianism. (laughs) Um, uh, Putin, pretty clever with uh, the, the strategy there, can't get gas to his tanks. They just sit there in the mud for weeks at a time. But, uh, you know, he's got some other things he's good at. Yeah, I thought they weren't going to invade uh, this late because uh, the the snow turns to mud. No, you and can't it's, move. Yeah, and it's Whoops. getting warmer by the day. And when it gets really warm, how the heck are they going to get those tanks out of there? That's a different story for a different time. If you miss an hour, grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.